What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Kist. Are you copy not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 132, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I'm joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, Ramsey deal is done, but it's not for the Eagles. How you doing, brother? Are you freaking out? Everything is delicious, Mike. Listen. <laughs> okay, so I, like the question I would ask everybody is this. If three weeks ago, before you know the whole Craig James experience, before like the worst games of Cindy Jones' career... The Eagles had sent two ones and a four for Ramsey. How would you have felt? And the answer is probably bad because two mm. ones and a four is as if this player is better than Khalil Mack, who was two ones and like a three for a two and da 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 da. He was not two ones and a four for a player straight up. This is this is a huge amount for a non-quarterback player, a huge, almost unprecedented amount of capital. That no, I would not have traded it to pay Jalen Ramsey. From the beginning, I've been interested in a first plus a day two. A one plus a one plus a four is is too steep a price. And it's interesting because we know the Eagles and the Jaguars have been basically talking about this forever. And so it's very clear, like if the Jaguars had this sort of a price tag in mind, the Eagles clearly were not comfortable with Ramsey at this value. And I think appropriately so. Now the Rams desperation, question mark, uh, has led them to get in on this and I think pay an exorbitant fee so as to retain their hopes in the very competitive NFC West. Meanwhile, for Philadelphia, while they've been struggling, while the corners have not been playing well, they're not in nearly as perilous a spot in their division. So they weren't in a position where they felt like they necessarily had to pay to keep their playoff hopes this year alive. I mean, if there's a, a general manager more aggressive than Howie Roseman, it's less Sneed. Sneed is, has been making market-setting extensions for years, which has included players like, you know, Alec Ogletree, but also, you know, like Aaron Donald and, you know, and now Jared Goff, you know, incoming and whatnot. So I'm not surprised that this that Sneed was the one who went after him, and I'm not surprised that Sneed was willing to pay pretty much everything for Ramsey. I think the, the, the Rams' defense got better. Don't think the Rams' defense was the biggest problem for that team. Too big, and that's not the only trade that happened. There was another cornerback trade that also didn't involve the Eagles. Did you mention it? Uh, no, I didn't. Marcus Peters okay. uh, to Baltimore for a fifth and linebacker Kenny Young, which, yeah. man, I'm old enough to remember when Marcus Peters led all rookie. Like he, Marcus Peters has, has the most pass breakups of any rookie corner season ever, and he just got <laughs> traded for a fifth and Kenny Young like three years later. It's amazing. So Marcus Peters is, is dealt to the Ravens 
for Kenny Young in a fifth. And you also have just a just a reset. Jalen Ramsey to the Rams, a first round pick next year, first round pick year after that, and a fourth round pick as well. That's a that's a very, very high cost that I personally and we've talked about this before, we wouldn't have paid it coming into it. Uh the the last rumor we heard with the Eagles offered a first and a second. And I guess that wasn't going to get it done and apparently did not get it done because the uh, the Rams swoop in with a better offer. The Eagles are still looking for options. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about that throughout the week. What we have today is our film review of the Eagles and Vikings. So we're going to be focusing on that. And then after that, of course, we'll transition to Dallas week and hit up our normal previews. And maybe before we get into the, the film review, I can kind of call you out on the louding Zach Brown for calling out Kirk Cousins because cost the man his job. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, like, here's the thing. Be spicy <laughs> yeah. always, but then win. That's because <laughs> like, well, so here, here's the thing is like be spicy always. The, the, everything is delicious. This is these are tenants by which we live our lives. But when you Everybody get pants, alive. Yep. Yeah, when you get pantsed, as Zach Brown did when Kirk Cousins threw on the Eagles for three thirty-five and four, which you know we all knew there was a chance it was going to happen, and it did. You got to stand at your locker and you got to take questions, brother. And I don't think he was cucks. He didn't take questions. You know what I mean? He was cucks. He's not playing that well, and he decided to be spicy. But I have I would have no problem with it. Like you know Jordan Hicks. If the Eagles were playing the Cardinals, getting real saucy about like Malcolm Jenkins or Fletcher Cox, if you like really had that opinion, I mean, like they do it. Like ex teammate slander is, is amazing to me because so many NFL players are filtered by what they say because they feel like, you know, oh, I'm eventually going to maybe play again with this guy or play with this guy for the first time. And I don't want to, you know, be too outright about things. I like it when NFL players are a little honest about thinking that ex teammates are bad. Just you got to be able to face the music a little bit. And so that's what was disappointing about Brown. The fact that he was cut surprising because it's not like the eagles are just you know drowning in linebacker talent over here mike bradham's hurt like yeah it's it's bad it's it's getting real light bradham's hurt so Camus is like back to full strength now which is kind of yeah. how they're dressing this up a little bit like the implied reason why you know they felt comfortable moving on from brown but this still spells more snaps for nate gary and that's not a win that's a loss <laughs> yeah absolutely nate gary Definitely. do you see nate gary on the second digs touchdown the play action one. Oh, uh, I can only imagine. I, yeah. I don't even think I watched him on that one. I was it's, just watching the coverage, but I can only imagine. It's probably as bad as the Falcons play, if not worse. Turn your books. Uh, second quarter, nine thirty nine. Can I transition real quick? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm loading that play up right now. Okay, so firstly, it's very clear the Eagles think they have a tendency here because everybody flows super strong. The, the Vikings give a, a, a play action wide zone look to the boundary side, to so the close side mm. of the field. Uh, the nickel corner, who I believe is Rodney McLeod. Yeah, McLeod, who's over the tight end, steps down hard beyond the tight end to get ready for outside zone. Nate Gary, who's the strong side backer, also steps down excuse me, he'd be the weak side backer here. He also steps down. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, the tight end, releases upfield. And I mean, Gary just just runs straight by, <laughs> just flies right by him, right? Just flies. It's just, and then, but it's then, another like, example of him charging downhill and then making a full turn and running back to where he thinks his area right. is. No idea who he's going after. Right, and the best thing is watch him just follow <laughs> Nigel Bradham. Yeah. Just watch him follow Nigel. Like, not only did you like dive out of position on play action, and then you release this tight end. Now, Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown also completely abandoned. Like, this this is 
flawless play action. They're in sync. And it's what makes Malcolm Jenkins. Like, Jenkins comes up to go close on Kyle Rudolph, and that's why he leaves the middle of the field, which Rasul Douglas was expecting that help, right? But Jenkins climbs up because Rudolph is uncovered, wide open. Nobody has any chance of playing him. So, again, it's clear every single Eagle in the world thought this was a running play. And, it, like, they yeah. thought they had it dialed in. But it's the fact that Gary is just such a, like, uh, like he's such a yakety sax player against play action. Yeah. It's always like, oh, downhill, full speed, oh, really fast turn, run back, full speed. And he just looks like he's just, like, 10 steps behind everybody else. He's so sweet. Yeah, the, the coverage was a major issue. And, you know, this Vikings offense hurt the Eagles the, the ways in which we had warned you before the show. And this is per Shilkapadia tweeting this out on Twitter, per Next Gen Stats, quote, 6.9% of Kirk Cousins' throws were into tight windows. That means a defender within one yard of the receiver. That's the third lowest percentage for a quarterback in week six. In other words, numbers back up the eye test. Eagles coverage was terrible and receivers were wide open all day, unquote. And there were plays that didn't even come off for the Vikings that had tons of separation too. So it's not just like you're giving up 108 net yards per pass against Kirk Cousins and it's reasonable that it could have been much worse for example if you go to the end of the first quarter two minutes and three seconds left it's third and eight the Eagles bring a cover zero blitz so you have man against trips to the left the Vikings run a concept we've called we've talked about a good deal on here some call it dusty some call it double china seven double china seven is really easy to explain because on double china seven the double china is two in breaking routes from the two outside receivers and then a seven route, a.k.a. a corner route, from the innermost receiver. In this case, that seven route comes from Adam Thielen. He's working against Malcolm Jenkins, who has inside leverage. Thielen is wide open on this. Cousins floats a balloon to the sideline, which allows Jenkins to recover and knock Thielen out of bounds. It's a four-point swing. And another one that I'll point out, second quarter, 122 left. It's first and 10. Play action shot again. Vikings are really dialing up these first down play action shots. That's the first down. What we talked about was a first down play action shot. They go max protects against the blitz. And behind that blitz, you've got that drop kick idea in coverage that you see with inverted cover two, where you've got the two outside corners. They're responsible for the deep halves. So Rasul has zero safety help against this deep post from Diggs. On the other side, Sidney Jones should be getting deep, but he slows up when he sees Cousins settling at the top of his drop. And Rasul's not in terrible position here, but all Cousins has to do is float this thing to the inside. Rasul's in good position. Right, yeah. But he's still got all that space to the inside. If Sydney was in the right position, you know, you're actually pretty okay here. But instead, Cousins throws a bad ball, goes incomplete. But this, again, it's just, it's another, uh, we mentioned Sydney not being there. It's another failure to execute this drop kick coverage with two deep half corners. It flat out does not work for them. It hasn't worked for them with Darby. It hasn't worked for them with Mills. Jones can't do it. Sewell can't do it. They can't do it. So either every one of them is wrong and you should throw it out or the coaching staff isn't coaching it up properly and they should throw it out. Either way, throw it out because they stink at it. They are abysmal at this type of coverage. This game had more coverage bust than we could realistically detail on this show. And at some point... Is that a challenge? Gee, I hope not for the rest of the season. We might really get some work on that. But at some point, Jim Schwartz and Corey Unlin need to have their feet put to the fire for it because 
as much as I like setting a precedent, making an example out of Zach Brown for running his mouth and then not winning, he wasn't the one busting in the secondary all day that led to 325 passing yards. I mean, Ben, we haven't even talked about the abysmal execution errors on some of the other touchdowns yet, which, I mean, you broke down one on Twitter that was great. So go to Ben's timeline to check one of those out. It's an audio breakdown. The problem has to be at this point, it's it's more than the players because vets like Sandejo, like McLeod, like Jenkins, they're having lapses too. It is not just the young guys. It's a failure of the coaching staff that they are busting this much. It can't just be the players, Ben. Tell me it can't just be the players. It has to, I mean, some of this has to come on the coaches too. This is wild to see that many coverage busts in a single game. And they're not running exotic stuff. I don't understand it, man. Here's what's like just really maddening to me about the issues on checking coverages, right? Because... I, I, I expressed this sentiment on a previous podcast. I have like patience and understanding for Schwartz because so many of the secondary players have been rotating around, right? Like you've had, you know, you've got Sidney Jones in a position. You've got Russell Douglas in there. You have, there's no Vontae Maddox. You have Craig James, whatever. You, you know, like obviously you want your backups to be prepared to start and play, but I'm not surprised that there are going to be mental errors and communication errors in the events of new players coming in. Like I fully get that, right? So there's that. And then number two, you have physically limited players who are playing. Rasul Douglas being a great example. If you ask the general Eagles group think, you say Douglas is a backup corner. Why is he backup corner? Because he's not that bad, but he's not that good. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, Douglas is a, is a backup corner in that if you put him out there, you're limited in what you can run. Because as we saw against Terry McLaurin, and as we saw against Stephon Diggs, and as we saw against somebody else this year that I can't remember, Devontae Adams, maybe not. If you put Douglas in a foot race with NFL wide receivers, he loses. He's not a fast player, uh, and he's not good at figuring out when he needs to get on his horse and run, that sense of timing, also as to keep pace with a guy. He's much better when he's physical up at the line or when he's playing downhill into the line of scrimmage. So because he has... All- only certain traits that are NFL caliber. He's a backup because when you put him in there, you have to put him in the situations where he can be successful. So he's an example. You could even use Cindy Jones as an example. Jones is at his best when he's off playing downhill, but sometimes plays happen behind you and Jones can't turn and run. And so like you're limited in what you can do with these players because they have, they have, they're not well-rounded. They have specific strengths, specific weaknesses. That's why they're backups. Okay. So I get that you're dealing with backups and that makes it, it makes it, Predictable are their communication issues. And I get that you're dealing with backups in that there are limits that they have in terms of their physical ability. But you drafted both of these guys in 2017. And I think this right. circles back to a really important point that's cycling through Eagles Twitter, which has to like be like very carefully and, and daintily discussed. You drafted both these guys in 2017. Sydney's lost time, yes. But Douglas started for a stretch in 2017, started for a stretch in 2018, now he's starting for a stretch in 2019. Is he that much better measurably than he was when he came in the building in 2017? Really not. He's better. But there have been huge, you know, significant steps forward in improvement. Cindy Jones has gotten worse. He's gotten worse. Remember, 2017, yep. like he had some promising games. 2017, he had the one game against Dallas where he looked good. 2018, he had three games at the very beginning of the season where he looked fantastic and then regressed from there 100%. Yeah. Which, like, if he's not staying healthy, he's not staying healthy. I'm not trying to take that away from you. But, like, Avante Maddox, has he looked as good in year two as he did in year one? No. And, and it's a small sample size. But And then you have Mills, 
who has not also like, you know, he's about to be done with his, his rookie contract. He walked in, got a starting job in, in part due to injury, in part due to the fact that he's super likable and has remained roughly the same. Darby, super productive in Buffalo, got here and has gotten worse again. Hmm. Injury. And I give you that. Show me the players who are getting better under Jim Schwartz and Corey Undlin. Exactly. Show, so, so, I can't. Right. And so when we talk about, because this has been the prevailing thing, Howie Roseman has not drafted well. Firstly, it's not as simple as that. Because we talked so much about what Joe Douglas meant to this personnel department when he left for New York. So it's tough for me to say Howie Roseman hasn't drafted well when I can't tell you who are Roseman's players and who are Douglas's players. And I can't tell you if there's even a discrepancy between those two. You know, they like alternate who picked who. I can't tell you to what extent their input was brought in. I can't tell you. Douglas could have been in charge of that war room. I don't know. So number one, I don't know that. Then number two, your coaching staff has a responsibility for development for rookies. Rookies are not good football players in the NFL. Why? Because they're rookies. They haven't played in the NFL before. Rookies aren't good. We, yeah. we, we, there's a, there's a, a huge selection heuristic, a selection bias that, that occurs when we evaluate rookies. Like, how many starters do you think come out of the average first round of the NFL draft? It's not nearly as high as you think. The answer is like 10 or 12. It's not 32. Yeah. The draft is hard. And we get it wrong a lot. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and day two and day three, it's, it's a crapshoot. But the thing is, we don't remember the players who miss. You know what I mean? Like, everybody loves to talk about the, the 2017 running back class, right? And, oh, Marlon Mack. And James Conner and Chris Carson, uh, Tariq Cohen, uh, other players who were drafted after, I can't remember, whatever, drafted after Danelle Pumphrey, right? And uh, oh, Ben's defending Danelle Pumphrey. Not really, (laughs) right? XFL stud. Right. I liked liked Pump. I thought he was going to be a good player, and he wasn't. Now, again, we got an injury conversation to have here. Pumphrey was injured both his rookie year and his sophomore year, but it doesn't matter. What matters is nobody talks about Samaje Pirine or Joe Williams. Or Wayne right. Goldman, or Brian Hill, yeah. or Jeremy McNichols, or TJ Logan, or Elijah McGuire, or D'Angelo Henderson, or Devontae Mays, or Kalfani Muhammad, or Elijah Hood, or Matthew Days. Because these were all running backs drafted on day three in the 2017 NFL draft that aren't good. I had a, I had a fifth round grade on Shelton Gibson. The Eagles drafted him in the fifth round. He doesn't hit. Does that mean that I was just as wrong as the Eagles for taking a swing in the fifth round on, on a guy that might have a, a deep ball trump card that maybe can develop one? Right. What is the hit rate of a guy in the fifth round? It's like 5%. What are we expecting from Right. These? The overall point here being is that we have, <laughs> so we have a selection bias in terms of it feels like every other team drafts better because we only know the players on those teams who have become good, right? We don't remember the players who they drafted who ended up not good. And so when yeah. we, so Roseman can't draft defensive backs. Well, he's drafted two. One of them was on an injury discount and he didn't work. The other was the 99th overall pick. And how many of those work out? Rasul Douglas. He was 99th. Oh, wow. I'm good. 99th overall pick. If the, if he's a depth player for you, if he get, if he can come in and start in, in, in case of injury, give you some good interceptions, give you some quality play, it's a good like, Solid pick. Douglas isn't a bust. I, 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 I refuse <laughs> to believe that a player picks right at 100. Who is who's now provided stretches of quality backup play, decent backup play for three years is a bust. He's not. This is a reasonable expectation for a third round compensatory selection. So yeah, I agree. When we ask the question, you know, like is the, this is like you know, I said I wouldn't have sent two ones and a four for Ramsey on Twitter. 
say the Eagles aren't going to be able to draft as good of players as Jalen Ramsey with those picks. No, they're probably not. The average first round pick does not become Jalen Ramsey. The average top five pick does not become Jalen Ramsey. And the Jaguars aren't going to be, you know, the Eagles or the Jaguars both aren't going to be having top five picks. So none of those picks are becoming Ramsey. Uh, most likely, you, you know, you can always hit, but it's very unlikely that you do. But you cannot just forego drafting for the sake of, of, of you know, pouring money into players who are measurably good. That being said, if you don't have coaches who can develop Corey Undland, Jim Schwartz, Tim Hawk, safety's coach, yeah, then it doesn't really matter who you select outside of the first round because any player who needs time and development seems to be stunted in the Philadelphia defensive backfield here. And then, you know, you can also look to players like Nate Gary, Joe Walker, Derek Barnett, question mark, development. Are, are, are young players getting better under our coaching staff? Because if they aren't, and the coaching staff is struggling to, you know, stop opposing offenses, then we're neither going to get better players, nor are we going to get a better product with the current players. And then what's your coaching staff doing for you? So there's a, a very nuanced and layered discussion in Howie Roseman hasn't drafted good players. And I think a really good touch point for it is the defensive backs the Eagles have brought in in recent years and asking the question of, are these young players, you know, like Ronald Darby, they didn't draft, but they traded for him when he was 23. Are these young players getting better under your coaching staff? And I think the answer is no. Because, right, because like, and like going back to Darby, you traded, you traded Jordan Matthews in a third for Darby. Are you drafting are you drafting a better player than Ronald Darby in the third round? No, you're not. Probably not, no. Yeah. So if you're okay, so Roseman doesn't draft. Okay, well if he doesn't draft, he's sending a three for Darby. Darby's out <laughs> here, had a great rookie season for the Bills. So this this is what you want him to do. But now Darby health problems, health problems, has not gotten better in Philadelphia. Same issues he's had, he continues to have. He how he sends a fifth round pick for Jordan Howard. Howard has looked great through five, six weeks. Would you rather have the fifth round pick or Jordan Howard? Yeah, I'd probably rather have Jordan Howard right now. Right. Because I know what he is. I don't know what a fifth rounder is. I know a fifth rounder right. has like a 5% chance of thriving or right. succeeding in the NFL to a, a level near Jordan Howard. And so... And I'm not even the biggest Jordan Howard fan. Right. And so <laughs> Roseman now... Okay, so Roseman doesn't draft well. Okay, well, he trades well and gets players on good discounts with day three picks. And so you're getting those... You're getting rentals who are playing well. But when the guys stay in the building, they don't improve. So I've got a coaching staff question here. Anyway, that's my rant. And and part of the scheme too, because I mean, how are we allowing these guys to thrive on the outside? There's such a disconnect with this team from the three different levels of the defense. And we talked about this a ton, but I, I want to paint another picture of how Schwartz is causing that rift and not putting his players in a position to succeed against the pass. And Ben, this goes directly into your theory that the Eagles run defense being so good is hashtag actually bad. Every week, Next Gen Stats puts out eight plus man box percentages for running backs that have over 10 carries. For example, I'm of the opinion that defenses are baiting the Eagles into running with light boxes. As for the season, Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard have seen the second and third least amount of eight plus man boxes at five and six percent respectively. Oh, that's an interesting take that it's a bait. I, I disagree with it, but we'll talk about it later. I, I mean, it's just it's a theory right now, just like yours is the run defense actually being bad. But there are nine instances of a running back seeing an eight plus man box on 60% or more of their runs. Out of those nine instances, the Eagles are responsible for three of them. Three of them. 33% of the time a running back has a loaded box like that. It's against the Eagles. That accounts for all 32 teams in the league. 33% against the Eagles. Congrats on holding Dalvin Cook to 2.5 yards per carry. Mission accomplished. Hang the banner. You got him. And in the meantime, 
You've got giant swabs of space from your underneath to intermediate to deep zones because you're so focused on stacking the box and stopping the run. And the run does not win football games in the NFL. We just saw it from a run-heavy team that carved you like a freaking Halloween pumpkin. A run-first team carved you up in the passing game because they knew they could get over top of you. They knew they could exploit the space. And it's not just because it's Diggs and Thielen. It's because this pass defense stinks and it's not connected to its second level or its first level. None of it, none of it makes any sense together. And if you don't have an elite pass rush, the defense doesn't work. Like the, the Schwartz is talking about how you need a better pass rush or you, you need better coverage so the pass rush can get there. None of it's connected. You've got your outside corner. We talked about this a bunch. I don't want to rant about it too much, but you've got your outside corners in a bail technique with deep halves, and you've got literally no one out there for just a 20 by 20 yard piece of, of real estate to where the offense can do whatever the heck they want to the Eagles. So it's not even all on the, on the corners either. It's, just, it's on the coaches for the scheme. It's on the coaches for not developing these players. I don't even know what these players are. I, I think you could fit in a, a ton of different players. Solid replacement level players at cornerback, and they would look bad in this game. Anyway, when we come back here on the Kiss and Solak show, we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles. That's coming up next. We will be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak show episode 132, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. Ben, you said you wanted to bark back about the theory, the potential theory that I'm working on that teams are baiting in the Eagles into running because they know they box count and Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard have two of the three least amount of eight plus man boxes according to next gen stats. What What is your rebuttal to that? Well, I think one, too much faith in NFL teams to figure that out. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like that's just that. that there's a lot. Like you think you think a Mike Zimmer led team wants to bait his opponent into running? No, he's probably like, oh no, they're running the ball. They're establishing on us. What are we gonna do? 
They're so. establishing on us. Yeah, we're, we're being established. Um, yeah. But now my number two argument is this, and I think it circles back to an opening game script that people were really upset about five runs uh, before Carson Wentz attempted his first pass, which was, of course, the last play of the first quarter. Now, there was actually a called pass beforehand. Wentz tucked it, scrambled, and then there was a penalty. Uh, and so it wasn't, you know, the penalty was, was, was taken, and so it wasn't counted as a passing play. All of these, not all of these, three out of the five, I think, were tagged with pass plays. They're tagged with look right. slants. They're tagged with bubble screens. Mm-hmm. And because the Eagles got a shallow box, because they got six in the box against six blockers, because they got seven in the blocks against seven blockers, Carson appropriately gave it. There was even, there was a, a, a the, um, I think it was a failed third and, 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 and three, I want to say, uh, on the second drive. Carson checked mm. into a run. He audibled into one because he liked the box count that he had. And so he ran it. So I think that it's less about inviting the Eagles to run. And it's more just when the Eagles call plays, they package in runs so that if they get a light box, they can check to it. Is it just it's just happenstance that they're seeing those light boxes this year more than others just via maybe who they're playing? Like we understand the Green Bay one. They wanted to play real light and play right. pass coverage against 12. That was stupid. But maybe maybe that's part of it too. I don't know. I well, before this we flush this thing out. This is well, like the stat we're referencing here with with Sanders and Howard is the percentage of their runs, which are against light boxes. So it it goes to the fact that if the Eagles have a pass and a run packaged at the line of scrimmage, Sanders is in the backfield, they get a heavy box. They're just not going to run it. And so it's it's. I don't think that they're getting light boxes more frequently than they were in previous years. I just think they're checking the runs against light boxes more frequently than yeah. they have been in recent years. Now, that would not be something I'd that would be something I would not be surprised to see change when Deshaun gets back. Because yeah. the Eagles the Eagles offense, and let's call it what it is. The Eagles offense is trying to get twelve yards in three plays. Mm-hmm. Nobody runs down the field. When they do, it's Nelson Aguilar, and it's bad. It's really bad. We got to talk. Dude, this is the worst he's looked. I was very, very upset with his performance. Going down versus, versus mutual contact, not tracking well, just a horrible I, But, like, that's the thing. is like I So you and I fell on opposite sides of the Aguilar debate in the offseason. I thought that he wasn't going to be worth the fifth-year option. I thought it was a bad call to give it to him. You were okay with it. You know, like, you, know you, you were more optimistic. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. But even, like, when I wrote the piece... I thought, you know, like there's two sides to this. I can very clearly see where did even that side go? Where did the 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 positive flashes go? I mean, right. again, maybe Deshaun comes back. Maybe Aguilar goes back to being a little yak king who gets touches two yards from the line of scrimmage and then picks up another five. And like, that's kind of how he does his thing. But even then, that doesn't bring too much value. So like Aguilar's struggling. So th- nobody goes deep. The Eagles don't even try to run deep. Third and five, everybody's breaking at seven yards. And th- against the Vikings, they were so, so, so shallow. And, I mean, Eric Kendricks was feasting. Because Eric Kendricks is a really good zone defender. I was really impressed with Kendricks' game against the pass. So so I think that the Eagles were more willing to become a schedule team, by which I mean to say, instead of trying to get 13 yards on first down, 13 yards on second down, 13 yards on third down, if it's third and 10, whatever, they morphed into that team that is really willing to run it on first down. And we saw this against the Jets. We saw this against the Packers. 
really willing to run it on first down, run it on second down to get into a more third and manageable because they just don't feel like they can stretch the field. Yeah. Again, a complaint that you've seen over the past few days is it shouldn't take an injury to a 31-year-old wide receiver who wasn't here last year for the Eagles offense not be able to stretch the field. And sure, but also let's not just take Deshaun Jackson's name off and pretend like he's Devontae Parker. So you feel like he's Torrey Smith. This is Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun's going to be 38 and losing him from an offense is still going to have an impact. That's the gravity that he brings. We've proven that. That's known. So losing Deshaun, I think, matters more than just like, oh, a 31-year-old. But I agree. You would like to be able to see the offense remain spread out even with Jackson gone. It's just simply not the way they're trying to run the system right now. Of course, Hmm. we could ask the question, you know, Matt Collins, 4-4 player. This is his third year. Is he developing under Mike Grell? Nelson Aguilar. This is his fifth year. He's had different wide receiver coaches, but Mike Rowe's been in the building for three years now. So Aguilar developing under Mike Rowe. Don't even get me started on J.J. Ortega Whiteside. Explain to me how he's not being played. I don't get this at all, in the slightest. Because he played one game at like 90% of the snaps against the Lions, and it was a really bad drop. And then what, got six snaps against the Packers and hasn't seen the field again? (laughs) <laughs> Whose doghouse is he in? The praise about Mike Rowe with Nelson Aguilar, his emergence after after being in a serious funk, it all went to grow. Mm-hmm. And his relationship with Alshon Jeffrey and so on and so forth, these wide receivers haven't developed since. They haven't de- they've they, they've taken step backwards. They look worse. They look worse than they have been. Maybe that's because Mike Rowe is in their wide receivers coach and that's where he belongs, not as offensive coordinator. Well, and so this right. Possibly. I mean, sure. <laughs> but like I don't think Grow being offensive coordinator means he can't talk to wide receivers, you know what I mean? And so that's for sure. Right. The the wide receiver snap counting is and roles is something that number one, I attribute to Mike Grow. The Eagles have a first round wide receiver first year wide receiver coach of Carson Walsh. So I don't I think Grow still got his hand in the pot. And yeah. I cannot I do not understand for the life of me how it makes sense to draft a guy in the second round. Two starting wide receivers go down, he gets some snaps, and then he gets a big portion of the snaps in the next game. And then he ends with a bad drop, and you bench him? Because he's benched. Or think of what I said is, is benched. He had a Slap bad drop benched, against yeah. Detroit, and they stopped playing him. How does that make any sense? Unless Matt when, Holland, when, With what you're getting from the other receivers, right. I don't I don't. But know. even then, like, <laughs> this is how you ruin a player. This is ruin a player 101. Wait till he makes a rookie mistake, then don't play him anymore. So the only thing he thinks about at night is that. Whose decision yeah. is this? It feels like a missed opportunity. Speaking of missed opportunities, you want to you want to get back in the film theme of things. I got two missed yeah, that's opportunities. A, that's a good that, idea. We should probably do that. Yeah, yeah, that that are fascinating to me. Let's uh, turn our books to the third quarter. There's nine oh three left. This is Alshon. The score is seventeen twenty four. Yeah, this yeah. is Alshon. Yeah, Alshon runs a, a double move, so it's first and ten. The ball is on the Philadelphia forty five, so they're in really good field position here. They end up getting a field goal out of this drive, but what bugs me. And they've got Alshon on the on the backside here. He's got a tight end next to him. But Alshon's just going to run a quick out from a from a nasty split here, out and up. And there is no safety help here. And Carson puts one right on him, right in front, right in the bread basket. Alshon takes four steps in bounds, and then falls out of bounds. Should have been a touchdown. Yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. No other place to to put this ball for Carson. I don't care what Seth Joyner drunkenly said to me on Twitter. This Boy. is where that ball should go. The guy runs himself out of bounds. He just totally loses his equal. What does he have? An inner ear infection? What is happening? And this goes to the point that even when Carson is perfect, the guys around him are not making plays for him. 
Right. It's so frustrating to see this. And it happens week after week. If it's not a drop, it's something stupid like this. A veteran running himself slap out of bounds. Was not pulled out of bounds. The ball is on his left shoulder right in front of the numbers. You can't ask for a better ball than that to go to go get yourself a touchdown. Right. Instead, you end up going out, out of bounds. You end up with a field goal. It's a four-point swing. It's not a tie ball game anymore. Game strip changes a little bit. I think it goes back to BLG. Maybe February. It goes back to his refrain. Can somebody else make a play? When And I said to, I said this to him in the recap show. When have we said, wow, receiver really bailed Carson out on that one? Hasn't happened all season. Hasn't happened all season. Not once. It is maddening. Absolutely maddening. So let's go to fourth quarter. Eagles are down 31 to 20. Let me pull up the, the timestamp here for you, Ben. It's the, uh, it's the only time the blown, they sack Carson. Is this a blown pass protection? Yeah. Let's have a let's discourse. Yeah, thirteen forty-two in the fourth quarter. Eagles are down twenty to thirty-one. Should have been twenty-four. Alshon, third and nine. Ball is on the Minnesota forty-eight. So the Vikings are very clearly saying, as they often do on third down, "Hey, we're gonna blitz the crap out of you. You're gonna have to execute." They've got let's see here: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They got eight guys at the line. Harrison Smith is gonna bail out late, but then he's gonna like be replaced by a nickel corner that's coming on a blitz. This is man across the board. They're bringing zero blitz, a double mugging, all that stuff. So Wentz recognizes this. He changes the protection. Now there's two guys that are gonna that are possibly gonna come free on this. The first guy is the nickel at the bottom. The other guy is Kendricks, who is lined up over the guard. With the slide, I, I, I just have to assume that Jordan Howard is the one responsible for picking this up. And before we talk about that, here's what happens. Harrison Smith bails. Zach Ertz threatens him with an outside jab step. He's working from the slot. Harrison Smith is 100% completely turned to the sideline. Ertz has him beat. And there is, again, because it's a heavy blitz, Nothing but green grass. All Carson needs, and Carson tries to even shorten his drop here a little bit. All Carson needs is a half a second. If Jordan picks up Kendricks, he can step up away from that nickel blitz. There's a big difference between a guy blitzing looping from the outside versus a guy with a direct line to the quarterback, like staring right at him. 100%. Howard's just not able to get either of them. Howard realizes that Kendricks is coming late, comes off of that nickel blitzing guy from across the formation, tries to dial back. It's already way too late. This is six, Ben. This is six that they miss. And Jordan Howard has played the Vikings a ton before. He's an excellent pass protector. He got fooled on this one. He blew it. Did not expect it. And what's what's frustrating is, number one, it's it's a clear call, right? And so Carson checks the protection. Harrison Smith is threatening off the outside, but the Eagles are in slide right. And mm-hmm. so the, it, 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 it's half slide. Only Dillard is left on the left-hand side. And so if both Harrison Smith and, and Kendricks came, Howard would still be responsible for protecting to the left side. But he immediately steps across Carson, which means he did not catch the audible. He just did not hear the protection shift. What's secondly frustrating is that once you've committed the wrong way, go block that guy. Because Don't Carson can make Eric Kendricks miss. He's Carson. Right. But when 20, who I think is Mike Hughes. Yeah, Mike Hughes? No, uh, uh, Marquise Alexander. Yep. When, when Kendricks first wraps up Carson, Alexander's then there to help finish the job. It's a right. split sack. But if you had taken Alexander, if you just stayed in your wrongness and been wrong in your wrongness, but still hit spun. Alexander, Carson's potentially breaking the Kendricks tackle. And then it's pure man coverage. Carson's got a gap up the middle of the field. It's a 20-yard run. Yeah. Right? Because Carson can make the first guy miss. Go take the second guy. Oh, you've already messed up. 
the last thing that's frustrating about this is there's been, no, I shouldn't say it's frustrating. There's been times where Zach Ertz has seen this and just broken off his route and he didn't this time. And that's like, you know, it's disappointing because when you see Smith bailing on you and it's clear there's zero safety high, like he knows all this information, you should know there's pressure coming as a receiver. There's aren't, you're not looking at as many people. So they've got to be somewhere else. Uh, in this case, you know, they're blitzing. It would have been nice to have seen him break off this route early. You know, he goes for a little corner. Do you think he doesn't? Because he does the corner post here, but do you think he does that because Smith has inside leverage? Do you think he's trying to threaten him real quick outside first and it just takes too long? Because right. I agree. I think, I think no, he yeah, could have came inside. Yeah, no, I think it's a, right. I think it's a quick, like he does a little quick fake. Like I think he's, he's as brisk as he can be while still within the route. Um, But when Smith's bailing, like his hips are closed to the inside. So you don't need the inside fake. Just cut. You just yeah, cut. He's got to flip his hips and get around you. Just get to the sticks and cut. I don't think it would have solved the problem because Howard still blows it. Um, but you've seen that before. Also, Nelson Aguilar was initially covered by Alexander in the slot. Alexander goes. Aguilar correctly does what he's supposed to do, which is turn and look for the ball. But once you see Carson not looking towards you, run. Run <laughs> to the middle of the field, right? right. Yeah. Being the being, If you're the hot alert, and the quarterback yeah. is not alerting to you, go run into his eyesight. Go run into the middle of the field. This is scramble yeah. drill rules. And obviously Carson's not scrambling, but you know a blitz is coming. Get yourself hot means get into the quarterback's eyesight. So there's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of little execution things that, you know, uh, work itself into, yes, a nine-yard sack in a situation where even like a net negative, a net zero gain would have maybe led to a fourth down attempt from Philadelphia. We're early in the fourth quarter in an 11-point game. On their side of the field. Yeah. yeah, they might be going for it, and you never know what's going to happen there. So, yeah, the the moral of the story for me on the offensive side of the ball is just little execution stuff. It's all a little, which it was last year. And, you know, eventually we have to ask the question, why are the Eagles sloppy? Last year, now this year, again, sloppy. But right. a lot of, it, it doesn't take much for this sort of stuff to start breaking in the other direction. So it's not mm-hmm. too concerning to me. The other big note I had on the offense, just because this was our first look at Andre Dillard in live game ap- action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a development that should shock everybody, uh, he needs <laughs> Dillard stonewalling second teamers in the preseason. Did not translate. Not the same as facing Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter, which I don't fault Dillard for. Right. It's Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter. Like screw you, man. Yeah. Like, it's the worst, you know. And, l- and let's be clear on Dillard. There, were, there was the one where they showed he got bull rushed. He got table topped by Jordan Howard on that one. Granted, there was not. He tripped him. He was still right. having some. And he was going to give up ground either way because he's going to have to work on that functional strength with his anchor. We we right. both know that it wasn't as bad as it looked. He had some struggles. He did stuff a spin and then kind of lost his balance. But other I've seen other tackles look a lot worse against that. He passed off some stunts that were okay. Overall, he did struggle predictably against Everson Griffin. Is what it is. Yes, right. And so right, I'm making the, the sounds that I'm making because yes. <laughs> Dillard did get tabletop by Jordan Howard, but the thing is, the reason he got tabletop by Jordan He's Howard pushed back. is because he was getting worked back by Everson <laughs> Griffin, and Jordan Howard thought he was going to have room that he suddenly did not, Yeah, because I <laughs> he was getting sunned by Everson Griffin. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Long, hint, hint, cough, cough, um, made that point on Twitter. He was like, you know, 77 got tabletop, like, let's be honest. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but also, why? Yeah. Um, regardless, um, Dillard rarely dealt with a rusher in the Pac-12 who was powerful enough and long enough and then scheme and technique wise was able to, because Pac-12 is a lot of four eye techniques, Pac-12 is a lot of six techniques, two two gapping guys, to just 
come off the ball, one outside step, fire into his chest. And Dillard has a low carriage of his hands. It's not a problem. It's a technique. It offers mm-hmm. up your chest, though. And Dillard was able to recover against a lot of the bull rushes he saw at the college level. NFL level is a different breed, even when it's not Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter. When it's Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter, it's a different, different breed. Uh, so, yeah. so Dillard's going to, you'd like, you, he's going to need to get stronger which we knew, and that's very regular, but he's also going to have to learn how to break good bull rushes because he, the mm-hmm. technique that he likes to use with his hands invites bull rushes, and he's yep. not a super stout dude. Like, Lane Johnson also invites bull rushes. Lane's a bit stronger than Dillard is. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's just, it, it's, it, uh, there's no reason to be like, oh no, Dillard's bad. But this is much more so what we expected given my evaluation of him coming out versus kind of the heroicism that we saw from him in the preseason. Last one we'll hit quickly before we get out of here, Ben, but I did want to ask you about Doug Peterson's comments saying that they were going to win against the Dallas Cowboys this week. Hey, it's Dallas week. Win against the Dallas Cowboys this week and come out of that game leading the division, uh, considering what we talked about with Zach Brown and running his mouth and then, you know, not winning and then getting, getting fired from his job essentially. But uh, I have no problem with it. I don't know what people expected Doug to say. I think Doug, more than anybody, especially someone like, you know, when compared to like Zach Brown, who just joined the team coming from a bad Washington culture, whatever, regardless of what Bruce Allen says. But Doug, more than anybody, understands how to motivate this team, especially, especially when their back is against the wall. We saw it in 2017 when Wentz went down. A lot of people thought the season was over. We saw it in 2018 when the Eagles were pretty much mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. So we've seen it two seasons in a row. If anybody knows how to motivate this team and what to say, it's Doug Peterson. I'm totally fine with what he said. I mean, at the same time, Jenkins came out and said some stuff too. Was complimentary of Dak. Said the offense goes through Zeke. I don't see anything wrong with that either. I trust guys like Jenks. I trust guys like Doug to know what to say. More than I trust a guy that just came that just got here from from a place like Washington. I don't don't talk to me about this. A head coach saying his team is going to win a football game. We talking about this? Say goodbye to the dental listeners, Ben. No, it's just it's like <laughs> not, there's there's ways. I know it's you, silly. It's silly, but I did right. want to address it because of the situation. Right. There's ways you can say this that are actually incendiary. Right, like you know, we know we're gonna beat the Cowboys. Cowboys, you know, came out three and zero, but they've obviously been struggling. And you know, they're they're clearly really we're gonna beat them. There's ways it's like insulting. Peterson said, "I'm confident, in my guys, that we're gonna go beat Dallas." What what what's the contra? What's what's the the, the converse? What's that? I'm I'm unconfident, in my guys, and I'm not sure we're gonna go beat Dallas. It's a nice story. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kist and Solak Show here on BTN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, Vikings recap, which because of uh, it was my fault, took on more of a. a larger view sort of a, a twist to it but uh the game was what well, the game was the Eagles struggled with that with which they typically struggle and are good at that with which they're typically good uh figuring out just what that run defense is doing and just what that rushing attack is is going to be pretty important for us over the next few days but as Mike said it's Dallas week don't eat any barbecue don't look at stars at night don't say yeehaw I don't know other things like that but uh Dallas week Sunday night football so it's going to be a fun one. We're going to get you prepared for the game. It's going to be two preview shows from Mike and I, offense and defense, defense and offense. It's going to be the Babes on Broad two shows this week, by the way, because they're just that good. And, of course, the BGN Radio main show. If you enjoy the feed, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts, as well as rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. We'll chat with you later this week. We all we got. We all we need. 
Fly, Eagles, fly. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 